and codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Welcome to Trek It Out with Priority One, and now your hosts. Hello, Captains, and happy First Contact Month. You're listening to episode 14 of Trek It Out, published every month and available for download on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Leah. And I'm Tony. All right, Tony, what do we have in store for this month's episode? Well, this month we're going to trek out the new international trailer for the new Star Trek Into Darkness movie. We're going to speak about some more movie stuff, Best of Both Worlds, hitting the big screen. We've got a classic remake of a classic Star Trek battle coming out. And Quantum Valley Investments has a new project that we probably ought to pay attention to. Damon Lindelof uh, waxes rhapsodic on spoilers. Hulu gets in on the March Madness, and is Kickstarter the future of Star Trek? Last but not least, Elijah is joined by Houston Huddleston, the man behind the Enterprise-D bridge restoration project and the owner of NewStarship.com. We'll also be talking about some upcoming conventions this month, for instance, the Star Trek New Jersey convention. But most importantly, we got to start talking about Vegas. It's just four months away, and we're already gearing up for the big event. This year, we're teaming up with Trek Radio and Stoked Radio to bring you Vegas like never before. Unfortunately, such an endeavor isn't cheap. Priority One needs your help to raise funds that will help cover the cost of broadcasting from the convention halls during the 2013 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We'll have a live broadcast just as we did last year, stream videos and interviews, and bring you up to the second coverage of this year's convention. Our goal is $700, and we need your help to get there. Please visit our website and click on the big orange donate button on the left side of the page. You'll be taking to the secure and popular PayPal website to submit your donation. Again, this fund is to help cover the costs of broadcasting from the convention hall. This money is not for us personally, and we're still going to have to pay for our own travel, lodging, food, and other activities in Las Vegas. Help us bring you the convention straight to your computer or smartphone by donating to Priority One. Our goal is $700, and with your help, that should be easily accomplished. Priority One is an immensely successful organization built by volunteers. If you believe you have a skill or talent that would help develop the show, then send us an email with how you'd like to help. Right now, we're looking for video editors for our YouTube channel, as well as audio editors for our podcasts. And you can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Before we move on with the show, we just want to remind you that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just amazing podcasts. We've got articles and blogs from some of the most respected members of the Star Trek online and greater Star Trek community. So be sure to visit www.PriorityOnePodcast.com for great content. Well. That takes care of the housekeeping. Let's check out what happened this month.
We're not exactly starting in order, but let's skip ahead to March 21st and talk about the new trailer for Star Trek Into Darkness. This this trailer had everything that you'd ever seen in every other movie ever released ever. Um, it was exciting. There were lots of explosions. There were lots of hints. There were lots of teasers in there. But I have to say, it looked a lot like a lot of other movies. If you guys listen to Priority One Podcast episode 120, I think we went into this one. And Leah, I know, what uh, when she listened to it, commented back. So here's what I'm going to say about the trailer, and here's what I'm going to say about the movie in general. One, the trailer, it was a good trailer. You know, boom, ba, boom, sex, boom, ba, ba. You know, cool. Awesome trailer. Got my interest peaked. But here's what I can see from that trailer. As I was watching, I was like, holy crap, man. This movie, it just, it feels like I watched this already. What the hell did I watch? That was this movie. Oh, yeah, it was Skyfall. I watched Skyfall, and this is Star Trek into Skyfall. Here's what here's what we're getting at, okay? Spoiler alert. This is what I'm seeing in the trailer. You've got a rogue Starfleet person that worked for Starfleet that's really pissed because they had been burned, and now they're coming back to to seek vengeance and and, and retribution for the wrongs that were done. Q, newbie, hero, gunslinger, shoot first, ask questions later, doesn't care about the life of his comrades, and is a rebel. Q him, because he's going to go take it down. Does he have any sidekicks? Oh, yes, plenty of sidekicks. You got plenty of sidekicks. Okay, good, as long as there's sidekicks. Even in the trailer, it looks like they, they, they seem to hijack a ship, and they're all in civilian clothing going after this rogue agent. This is Is this the one that doesn't fit? This is the ship that doesn't fit. doesn't fit. Yeah. I Only bet you they, they I bet you that they had to commandeer a vessel to go and do something because they had to stick it to the man and no we can't do we can't we can't do this by the code of the federation. We got to go off and do it our way. Our, and that's what happens. Right. I bet you that's what happens. Yeah. So this is well, Scott, this we, is Star Trek Skyfall. We've had our say twice now, Elijah. All right. All right, Leah, lay into us. Tell us why we're wrong. You're not Wrong because I can't call your opinions wrong because they're opinions. I think you're both curmudgeons. <laughs> <laughs> That's only the fourth time today I've been called curmudgeon. <laughs> I'm I not just, curmudgeonly enough, obviously. I honestly don't know what you would need, what the you guys personally or other people who feel this way would want to see in a trailer that would actually make you happy because... You have a VFX studio that is ILM, so it's going to look like things like Star Wars. You have a movie that is produced at this point in time, so it's going to look like other movies produced at this point in time. This movie was being written at the same time as something like Skyfall was being written. I, I, I honestly, I honestly do not know what else to say to you, except it's all been done before. You're gonna see similarities. It's carbon. It goes back to the first movie yeah. poster. He, he ripped out the Batman poster. Uh, we need to like put the the, the Skyfall trailer, the one the 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 line, the one where you look Dark up where you looking up rises. Skid- yeah, yeah, Dark Knight Rises. Where that you look was up the not city the first line, trailer. Ba- that was not the first was, movie no. to use that poster. It was, but it's it's not it's not a new idea to have a no, no, poster no, no, no. that looks like that. No, no, you know you're you're absolutely right. This goes back. I I read this article a little while ago. It goes back to this old painting of a man alone by himself, sort of facing the elements, facing the unknown. I mean, that's it's very it's very Kantian philosophy and stuff like that. You're you're right again. You're correct. But the symbol, the Batman symbol, was made into the skyline. The Starfleet Delta was carved out of wreckage. I mean, the man standing alone is a common movie poster trope. I, you're absolutely correct. 
but but using the the iconic symbol with the, both the Batman and the Star Trek, it's like they're taking all the other parts of the movies around that are being released currently and go, that's cool. We should put Captain Kirk in that. Kirk would work there now. And he can have Spock no. say something logical. Here's my thing. I understand that to original content is almost impossible. But to find a unique way to tell the same story, that's the trick. And maybe it wouldn't bother me so much if Skyfall if you know, hadn't come out under it was it a year ago, less than a year ago. It's just so carbon copy and I and that's what I don't like. There's so much that you could do with Star Trek. There's so much. And I'm not listen, I'm not asking for sit around the table and talk about diplomacy and how we're going to save things like a standard episode of Star Trek, but it's a carbon copy action flick and it's, it's Skyfall. I don't know. I, I'm still going to go. I'm, I'm still going to go watch it. it. Yeah, I'm still going to go watch it. Of course, I'm still for gonna all go my watch complaints. It. For all my complaints, they're still going to get my 10 bucks for the ticket. The movie theater's going to get some popcorn money from me. We can moan and groan all we want. I'm still going to go watch it. Well, I'm glad you're still going to pay $10. Although, what movie theater are you going to that you only pay $10 for a movie ticket? I don't live where you live, lady. <laughs> For all the grumblies, I really enjoyed the international trailer. I liked that we got more, slightly more plot hinties as to what's happening. And a lot more skin. We did get more skin. She's banging. What are you going to do? My. I I just like all the the internettings that are going on about this. I've got Beam Me Up Hottie. That's pretty original. Uh, (laughs) Star Trek Into Undies. I saw that one. That was good. I liked that one. Technically, I saw one, but instead of talking about Alice Eve, it was talking about Benedict Cumberbatch, and it was something like Into Fabulous, and it was a picture of Cumberbatch when he was in drag. (laughs) (laughs) See, now that would have made the trailer different. That would have made the trailer (laughs) unique. That would have been not carbon copy. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so now moving on, we want to remind everybody that April 25th at 7 p.m. local time, Fathom Events will be presenting The Best of Both Worlds, the two-part storyline comprising the third season finale and fourth season premiere of our beloved Star Trek series, The Next Generation. Uh, This is in conjunction with the remastered Blu-ray release, so be sure to visit fathomevents.com for your local showtimes. Don't miss this event. I know that Leah and I will be at the Empire 25. Is that where it is? Empire 25 in New York City. Uh, right off Times Square, so we'll be there that yep. night to cover the event. Hopefully we'll have flyers and we'll be able to meet people and interview some people to get their reaction to the presentation. I'm really looking forward to this, Lee. Are you? Heck yeah! I'm so pumped! This is the advantage you guys have. You may pay more to get admission to movie theaters, but you actually get stuff like this in your movie theaters, so that's the trade-off. And I think Best of Both Worlds is still ranked as one of the highest or most watched television series finales ever right i don't know where it places but dear god i mean i remember how old was i 12 something like that 12 or 13 and i remember watching the end of season three the cliffhanger and going i have to wait a whole summer to find out what happens next it it blew my mind it blew my freaking mind well here's what i can tell you that the first episode won emmy awards for outstanding art direction for a series and outstanding sound editing for a series and Empire Magazine rated The Next Generation number 37 on their list of 50 greatest TV shows of all time. And uh, cited Best of Both Worlds as the show's best episode. Entertainment Weekly does it a lot, too. They'll do lists of the best cliffhangers or best season finales. And Best of Both Worlds is always on their list. They never, ever forget it. And in terms of numbers, it definitely didn't get the numbers at something like a television show with these days. But percentage-wise, for a show that was run 
originally in syndication from the get-go, Star Trek The Next Generation yeah. consistently blew numbers out of the water. It changed television. No doubt about it. And also coming up this month, you can catch me at the Star Trek New Jersey-Philadelphia convention between April 26th and April 28th. Uh, I'll be there along with Trek Radio to bring you the latest news from the convention hall. Follow me on Twitter at at STO underscore Elijah MRE. I'll be posting pictures, videos, interviews, all that jazz. For more information on how you can attend the Star Trek Philadelphia area convention, visit Creation Entertainment's website at www.creationent.com. Special guests this year include uh, Avery Brooks, Gates McFadden, Michael Dorn, and a visitor. Uh, it's a very DS9-oriented convention this year, but trust me, I will be tweeting like a madman. So, in other Star Trek-related news, it seems that the StarTrek.com website got revamped, and thank God, because it was... I hated going to StarTrek.com before. It was... The web layout was terrible. And then, like, the wallpaper in the background would... Re, if you had, like, a large monitor and a super high resolution, it would keep repeating and repeating. It was just so amateur. So, I'm so glad that yeah. they revamped it. It was so mid-2000s. You're right. It was mid-2000s. Like, somebody yeah, so, made man, it in front you... page. <laughs> You look at it now, and I think someone said, you know what? A lot of people are using those fancy new iPads. Have you heard of them? And said, we need to make this look at least sort of decent on a tablet or a, you know, a large screen smartphone. So I think I think they really kind of aimed with that in mind. And yeah, it looks tons better now. You can get around a lot easier, and it renders nicely in HD for only people with large screens out there. So I very much enjoy it. Well, I get to be the trailer guy. I get to be the, the online video guy because I'm also very excited to tell you about the classic battle that has been reimagined and updated for the 21st century. When I went, did this on uh, the Priority One podcast a couple weeks ago, I, the words failed me. They continue to fail me, but I'll go ahead and try again. The Gorn, and then the Shatner, and a pillow fight. And magic was made. That's all I can say. I, someone has to take it from here. I'm a little verklempt. I'll give you a topic. Star Trek, Gorn, Shatner, pillow fight, go. It was hilarious, and it's probably one of the best promos for a video game I've seen since a long time. The only one I liked better recently was the Deadpool trailer, and that's a completely different thing. This was perfect, perfect for the Star Trek game, and I was crying. It was so funny. So the trailer pretty much is William Shatner sitting down on his couch next to a Gorn, and the classic Gorn from the original TOS series. And they're both playing the new Star Trek movie tie-in video game on William Shatner's Xbox. Yeah, because, you know, he's got an Xbox. All of a sudden, they get into a fight. I never thought I'd hear that sentence. I know, William Shatner with his Xbox. All of a sudden, a little quarrel breaks out, and before you know it, a rematch ensues. He busts out some of his old-fashioned Kirk foo. And I think the best part of the movie is that after he did the double punch on the Gorn and the guy in the Gorn costume, they cut to a scene in the in-game footage of the Chris Pine video-rendered Gorn doing the double punch on the Gorn's neck in the game. It moved me to tears, nearly, quite frankly. I thought that was just a great little moment. It was a very fun little nod to the original series. I thought this was much better form than the Oscars, because the Oscars were just, it was just, it just... Oh, yeah. I liked the trailer. I really liked the trailer a lot. It was a nice tie-in and promotion for the game. The game clearly has Gorn's, I guess, as their primary villain in the game. Uh, and these are not your granddaddy's Gorn. These are some serious, no. mean-looking mean looking the, Gorn. Yeah, these Gorns had a one-night stand with Alien. Then they went to go visit the Predator's cousin after that. And then some weird genetic experiments happened. And then you get these guys. 
Leah, are you picking up the game? I'm still slightly hesitant because I've been burned recently by video games. I've been waiting eight years or so to come out, and then they come out and they're terrible. So I, I'm slightly hesitant. If uh, IGN gives it a good thumbs up, then I will pick it up ASAPs. All right, what else have we got? Well, we had a really neat little article that StarTrek.com put up for us talking about how the co-founder and former CEO of Research in Motion, which did the BlackBerry, has teamed up with another of his co-founders to launch a new investment company called Quantum Valley Investments. And what they're doing is they're pouring all of their money into scientific technology and their inspiration comes from, you're not going to believe it, Star Trek, uh, specifically things like the Tricorder. Where, you know, you would see someone like Bones scanning another human and being able to see what's going on in their body without it being an invasive process. And they cite a lot of other Star Trek technology, most specifically the communicators, where back in the 70s, it's something that people didn't really see existing. But now we have cell phones. They believe that something like a modern tricorder is within reach. So they are pouring investments into making that a scientific possibility. Now, I know that this isn't the first endeavor to promote innovation and, and use Star Trek as its guide. And we have seen leaps and bounds. And, and I know now, even at Best Buy, you can pick up a little you know wristband and picks up your vitals. We've covered in the past actual tricorders now that scan. Uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry, little mobile x-ray machines that uh, can be used and powered by a small little battery to be used in the field or in third world countries. So this is an amazing step towards really realizing Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future and technology and innovation. So I'm looking forward to what comes out of this project. I think, again, it just shows sort of the power that Roddenberry eventually dispersed to the world. I mean, the idea that, yeah, we got problems, yeah, we got troubles, but we're smarter than all of it. And part of what it is is we can understand more about the world around us and we can have something in our hand that helps us understand the world around us. Don't eat that plant. Stop breathing this air for a while. Go put, you know, you know this is bad for you. You know, uh, if we can uh, extend the range of our senses and understand more about the universe, well, the more information we have, the better decisions we can make. And we can stop doing stupid stuff like blowing each other up, which is really where the great bird of the galaxy wanted us to go. Stop blowing ourselves up. Go fly around the stars for a little bit. And, you know, and according to the Star Trek video game, blow up some lizard slash predator slash, you know, alien people uh, instead, which is way more fun. There was another interview that I caught in the LA Times that was of interest. They talked to Damon Lindelof, one of the writers for Into Darkness. He was also a showrunner on Lost. He was a writer for Prometheus. He's all around geek screenwriter. And they were talking about the movie and the topic of spoilers came up. And now this is someone, if you're in a Fandom in general, not necessarily Star Trek, but most likely Star Trek if you're listening to this. But spoilers <laughs> is a topic that comes up all the time. And it has recently been something that the Star Trek Into Darkness promotions have been under fire for because people are upset that, oh, they're just trolling us by keeping so much information under wraps. I personally really like Lindelof. I think he's a really good writer and I've interviewed him in the past and he has a really interesting take on this. And there was a quote from the article I just wanted to give you guys because I thought it was really fantastic. On spoilers, he says, the audience needs to have the same experience that the crew is having. You're Kirk, you're Spock, you're McCoy. So if they don't know who the bad guy is going to be in the movie, then you shouldn't know. It's not just keeping the secret for secrecy's sake. It's not giving the audience information that the characters don't have. And I think from a writer's perspective, that is a fantastic point of view. 
Now, I mean, do I believe that's the only reason they're keeping spoilers? No. But I do think that's a way that fans should come to look at. Well, that sort of jives with what we've seen or not seen, as I guess you could say, from the trailers and stuff we've seen so far. They're very hedgy about who this John Harrison guy is and maybe what he does and maybe why he's doing it. Well, we know from the you know uh, Elijah's um, analysis, shall we say, of the trailer earlier that he appears to be certain things, but that might just be the impression they're trying to give us. You know, maybe that's the initial impression the crew gets when they first encounter these bad things. And so they're just giving us, like you said, the starting point where the crew is. I think that's a fine philosophy. And if that bears out when we actually pay our varieties of different currencies to go see the movie, I think that that would be a good thing. I like spoilers and I like trailers. They get me more hyped up. I like trailers. I don't like specific spoilers. Like the other thing he says in the article, people come up to me and they'll say, no, seriously, who's Benedict playing? And I'll say, do you really want to know? And then they go, no, no, I don't. And that's that's my thing. All day long, you want to give me hints in the trailer that he was a former Starfleet guy and there's some sort of revenge thing going on. Give me that. That's okay by me. But I don't want a call sheet detailing what everybody is because that takes some of the magic out. The internet also provided us with some geeky March Madness to get into if you're not so inclined to be watching the basketballs. Both Hulu and Star Trek.com had character contests. Hulu's took place mainly on their Tumblr page, and it was also in honor of the fact that at the end of March, they had all of Star Trek, all seasons, all shows, free to watch, which was a really fun thing to do if you were bored and sitting in front of your computer for the last week of March. But basically, they lined up a handful of characters, and they did brackets, and the winner of the all-time greatest character of Star Trek, according to this Hulu Tumblr contest, was none other than Catherine Janeway, who... I love, I mean, I don't think she's the greatest character of all time, but it's Tumblr. What are you going to do? You got your Twitter crowd. You got your Facebook crowd. You got your, who's on the Tumblr? Anybody who's anybody, Tony. Anybody who's anybody. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a curmudgeon. I, had, I don't know these things. You know, the, these are, the, the internet is new and strange to me. I don't understand. Is there a crowd on Tumblr that would favor Catherine Janeway over the other ones for any particular reason? A slightly younger crowd. There is a very active, younger, skewed crowd on Tumblr. Not to say that there aren't well, older people or whomever. I was going to say, that's the internet as a whole, isn't it? Tumblr tends to be a lot younger <laughs> than uh, you oh, would expect. Y- Every once in a while, I feel old. Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, I was going to say, so I did, maybe I, I was trying to look for some sort of reason why Catherine Janeway. I mean, look at us. Look at, like, let's just look at some of the other competition here. You got Q. Seriously, Q. Catherine Janeway beat out Q. No, I don't. I can't see that happening. Old Baldy himself. Jimmy Kirk. William Shatner. The, the man who defeated the Gorn with the homemade shotgun made of whatever he was, whatever he got there. I, no. No, it's not right. Well, that was just one contest that Voyager took home in the bag because Star Trek.com did a best doctor contest where they had a bunch of different categories and then a best overall doctor. And the winner in almost all categories was the EMH from Voyager. I'll get behind that one. God, you got to love Bones. I mean, you know, Bones probably would have been the runaway early favorite, but I think in the long haul, you got to go with, with the guy with the better snappy comebacks. All right, so... Here's my here's a topic I'd like to bring up. In a recent article on the Los Angeles Times Hero Complex column, there was an interview with Scott Bakula, and he talks a little bit about the potential of there being an Enterprise reunion. And he talks a little bit about websites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo 
that would funded by the fans. So what do you think? Are we going to see Star Trek back on the television screen by corporate Paramount CBS, you know, or is the future of Star Trek, should it be in the hands of the fans and funded through projects like Kickstarter and Indiegogo? I mean, clearly this came about because of the Veronica Mars movie, which broke all sorts of records and it brought a show back from the dead. And so I understand why the topic came about. However, and this is the problem with people misunderstanding what Kickstarter is. Yes, the fans brought that movie to life and the movie is happening because of the fans. But Warner Brothers still owns all the rights to Veronica Mars, just as if somebody kickstarted something for Enterprise, as Bakula was talking about, Paramount would still own all the rights. It's still their movie. It's still their movie to market. What they are looking for is a significant investment from a very large group to prove that there is a pool that would be interested in seeing this property. They don't want to lose all this money on something nobody's going to watch. That's what this is. They want to see a return investment, but they don't want to start the money. I don't think, personally, that Paramount is going to give up the rights to something like this, at least not for a while, because they have the movies. And the movies are traction enough that if they want to launch a TV show, they have that already. They don't need any additional outside funding. Now, the Veronica Mars thing, when it was on Kickstarter, who was putting it together? Was it a fan, like a small little production house trying to do it or, or what? No, 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 no. It was the creator. It was the creator, Rob Thomas, of the original creator of Veronica Mars and Kristen Bell, the lead actress. They'd been talking for, apparently behind the scenes, they'd been talking for a while and fans have always done campaigns and whatnot saying that they would like to see a movie and they went to warner brothers with a proposal not really a script but a script outline and saying this is what we would like to do can we do this because warner brothers still owns that as an intellectual property that's still their thing warner brothers said sure go ahead if you raise x amount of dollars this is something we will green light for you because it's they raised over the goal was two million dollars but they raised i don't know what the final number is it's an obscene amount of money but well 4.4 that, million, I think. It's it's something absurd, and they only recently opened up to the rest of the world to be able to donate. But that's not nearly enough money to make a movie, so Warner Brothers is doing the rest of it. But it was the creator of the show and an actress of the show going to the company with a proposal. And then it went to Kickstarter and raised $2 million in like seven hours. The money that was collected on Kickstarter, that is going to pay for the show. It's going to be a contribution, but the $2 million, what you're actually paying for, usually are your perks. Like, I donated $35, and for $35, I bought a PDF of the script and a t-shirt. That's, in my brain, my $35 bought my fun stuff. The way movies are made these days, uh, you know, they're all financed, right? You know, they, you go, it's like any other sort of project. You get investors, and you spread the pain around, you spread the risk around. What Warner Brothers wasn't willing to do for Veronica Mars was they weren't really willing to step out and provide the seed money and say, look, we're backing it to the tune of 10%, 15% of the budget for the picture. Who wants in? They weren't willing to do that because they didn't, I don't know, maybe they didn't see the potential of the franchise. They didn't think the property was popular enough to support a wide-release movie, whatever. But as soon as Kristen Bell and Rob Thomas brought that seed money to Warner and said, we got this, they said, oh, okay, well, then I guess it is worth it. We'll go ahead and back it. And then you go through our usual financing hoops where we get our investors and do that kind of stuff. We'll lend you our network. We'll lend you our support system to try to get the rest of the movie put together. So, I mean, I think it would not surprise me to see this happen more often to creators, people that are invested in a project emotionally to go to the rights owners and say, if I get you, if I get you the kicker 
will you let me use your stuff to make the movie? And I think a lot of studios will say, sure, no skin off our nose. I would love to see a a very high-quality Star Trek series from a Kickstarter project. There are things out there already, you know, you've got the same production house that did of Gods and Men are now doing Renegades, which is, I think, Renegade Pictures, and they're funded primarily through Kickstarter. And the caveat to it is that they can make a Star Trek series or Star Trek film, but they just can't profit off of it. So all the money that is collected on via Kickstarter goes to actually creating it and no additional profit, no, nothing goes into anybody's pocket. Renegade Pictures, Renegade Films did a great job with Of Gods and Men. It was fantastic. They had a talent like Academy Award winner Doug Drexler working on, uh, and Emmy winner Doug Drexler working on the special effects, and you know you had actual Star Trek actors. And we're going to probably see the same, if not better, for, for Star Trek Renegades. You know, you, we already know that Tim Russ is directing it. And you've got a number of different actors from the Star Trek series returning to reprise their role in one way, shape, or form. And again, it's funded by Kickstarter. So I hope to see more and more projects like this kick off that really know how to use the money and tell great stories. Well, that wraps up our discussion for Star Trek news this month. Let's go ahead and interview Houston Huddleston, the man behind NewStarship.com, the restoration project for the Enterprise D Bridge. And joining me this evening is Houston Huddleston, the man, the brains, the person responsible for the restoration of our beloved Enterprise D. Houston, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Hello. No, I'm thrilled to be there. So I, I want to start by going back to the beginning. Talk to us about the genesis of this whole project. How did you come about the parts of the Enterprise? And talk to us. Tell us about that history. It's the old right place at the right time thing, and I was working at a building that was right above where Paramount had offices, and they were doing the special events like the premieres and tours and all this stuff, and a guy told me that he was leaving the company, and I said, darn, now I'll never get to turn my living room into the Bridge of the Enterprise, and the guy leaned over and said, be careful what you wish for, and he then took me to a warehouse that was in Long Beach, California, that had the entire bridge of the Enterprise sitting outside uh, and had been sitting outside for five years. And I didn't really know why, and I didn't really care because I was afraid that if I knew too much, I might not be able to get it. But uh, long story short, I worked out a deal with the warehouse and they let me have it because they were going to throw it out. They were going to dump it. They uh, Apparently, whatever rights they had, whatever company, this or tour company or whatever, it was all over. They weren't doing tours anymore. The tour had sold it to something or other. Because this bridge was not the one seen on the TV show because that was destroyed back in the early 90s. It was the one you saw in the Generations. It was the real bridge that they shot the show on for seven years. They blew it up. And mine was made in the late 90s and was made specifically for tours and for display and for God knows what else. And as far as I know, it was seen in London, in Hyde Park, and it was also seen in Germany. And then they brought it back to America and left it outside like a total piece of crap. And it's an exact perfect one-to-one -one replica that was made by Zimmerman and Michael Okuda to be 
you know, perfect, and to be exactly like the one that we used in, on the TV show. Uh, the only changes were they made the rise a little bit lower, as they did in the Vegas bridge. The rise was not as tall as it should have been. The ramp, you know, on the sides, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and was missing the side chairs. It was, you know, it was the exact replica to the Vegas one, and that had some cut corners. And the differences that they made then were making perfect again because we got Zimmerman and Michael Gouda and all the original designers on our side who are making it perfect, a- absolutely screen accurate, perfect. So you paid nothing for these parts; they just handed it over to you. Right. They, I, I, they couldn't legitimately sell them to me, so all I did was pay the shipping. But the shipping was thousands of dollars because it was huge. I mean, it was two whole moving vans worth of material, metal and fiberglass and, you know, heavy, heavy stuff. If you saw the bridge on television, it, that was made out of wood. Well, ours was made out of fiberglass so that they could take it to places without it just exploding, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, and not to mention the chairs and that huge ceiling and all the intricate parts and all that. So, yeah, I got it for free, but not really. I mean, it was, for me, it was still very expensive. And the restoration of it is just immense because it wasn't in horrible shape, but it also wasn't in perfect shape. And all of those pieces are all custom made. All those plexiglass and fiberglass pieces have to be either, some of the pieces are missing. Uh, the floor has to be completely rebuilt. The carpet, the electronics, and, and, you know, we're making everything touchscreen. So instead of backlit plexi, it's all real touchscreen computers now. So the technical aspects of that, the electronics, the computer, and, you know, it's a massive project. But with the people we have on our side, which are all the original guys, it's being done. It's, and it's being done better than it was before, to quote the $6 million man. <laughs> now... Tell us a little bit about your own history. Are you, uh, were you working in construction? You know, how experienced are you with uh, craftsmanship and carpentry, et cetera, et cetera? I can't put two pieces of wood together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. I mean, I, no, I I come from a a writing background. My father was a famous songwriter. He did the Aristocats, uh, Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. He wrote uh, Robin Hood. He did songs for Sinatra. You know, all this kind of stuff. And I grew up in that business, that world. And my mom's a singer. And so I grew up in songwriting or script writing. And that was my expertise. And I produced some. And honestly, if I hadn't grown up producing for TV and done some you know, independent films, this is a major production that we've undertaken for this museum. Uh, I, I would just be a babbling pile of of drool and goop if I hadn't had that background in show business because I wouldn't know what I was doing. But thankfully, that's that's my background. And when I came to this, I see this as directing a film, really, because I'm getting the people together, I am getting the budget together, and by the middle of next year, we will have the bridge probably at the San Diego Aerospace Museum for about a six-month to a year run. That's who we're talking to. And by the end of this year, we'll have our bridge completely physically restored. It'll be cosmetically restored. It'll look dead-on perfect. But the touchscreens won't be there yet, because that's a 
to do that and to get the programming right and to get the educational element of it right because we're making it educational so you can bring a classroom of kids onto our bridge and they each work different stations and the captain would be someone at the museum to tell them okay go set the phasers to so-and-so okay set the speed to so-and-so they can actually fly to a different planet they could battle whatever foreign creatures you know have to attack uh aliens so it's going to be something that has never really been done this way before outside of Star Tours, but that's, you don't really control it, it's a ride. And the other option, I mean, the other example is Artemis uh, does a video game, but even that's still a video game. This will be education, and cool, and a video game, and that's groundbreaking. We're truly making something that's never been done before. That is, that's amazing. Now, you talk about funds and that it does, in fact, cost money to complete a project this massive. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you have funded thus far and what you're looking at towards the future? We did a Kickstarter and an Indiegogo last year. The Indiegogo was part of the learning curve. I didn't know what I was doing, and it was, it was okay. We made some money, but we didn't really do it that well because... Uh, they only allowed us to add 12 items, and we were getting like 50 items just from Entertainment Earth had you know, become one of our sponsors. So we had t-shirts, we had all this stuff, all these signed audit items by Ronald D. Moore. He donated stuff, Shatner had donated, and so then we did Kickstarter, and they let us, they were like, do anything, you know, add as many as you want. It's like, awesome, great. So our Kickstarter is what really made it happen and altogether we raised about $84,000 which is incredible mainly because we'd only asked for about 20. Uh, oh wow. Because we just wanted literally to kickstart the project. We wanted to find out if okay can we pay off the bills we've already uh, paid you know the expenditures of the shipping and any types of taxes and all that. The legal fees alone were about seven eight thousand dollars to become non-profit it's very expensive and all the other fees to get to buy t-shirts to resell at conventions to you know because whatever you sell you have to buy first obviously you can't just okay we'll pay you later yeah sure see you later right. um but yeah we were massively successful in that i think and it was all for the fans so I don't want to go screwing the fans because I'm one of those fans. And in this economy, people just can't, we can't just keep going with the fans saying, hey, can you help us again? You know, that sucks. And that's rotten. And that's not what I want to do. Uh, I think it's time for the corporations to pitch in. And we may do another Kickstarter down the line, but it's going to be very specific. It'll be for like a documentary that we're coming up with or music concert that we want to do as a sci-fi music concert. Uh, but the bulk of this, we've already proven ourselves with the fans. We've proven that we have almost 10,000 supporters on Facebook alone, and we've had a couple of million hits on our website and all this stuff. So it's almost time. We've almost got it together where we can go to a corporation and say, look, we've got all these supporters who are Star Trek supporters and sci-fi fans. We've got Brit Spiner on our side. We've got pretty much the entire cast of Star Trek Next Gen on our side. We've got other cast members from Voyager, DS9, and we've got writers and directors like Ronald D. Moore, Marie Shankar. I've heard Renee 
Rene Orbison-Juan, also Rene Escavaris, I never can pronounce his name. He's apparently following us. I met Jane Espenson. She already knew about us. She said, you're famous. I said, really? <laughs> you know, at WonderCon this weekend. I met Michelle Nichols. Michelle Nichols had heard of us. That blew my mind. <laughs> that really floored me. So, yeah, we've got the support. Now we need to get our act together to have a presentation to take to major heavyweight corporations like Apple and Microsoft and other electronic companies and NASA and to Boeing and to the heavyweights, the people who have billions of dollars who can come to us and say, okay, this will be a tax write-off. This will be an educational tax write-off, blah, blah, blah. That needs to be our next step. Uh, not going, keep going back to the fans like a, you know, unlimited cup. I've seen that in the business, and that really sucks. And yeah, that's not what we're about. The fans have already proven themselves. Now it's time that people actually have money to come in there. And we're doing this for the right reasons. So, hey, you know, that's, that's the right next step. Now, this project, I mean, it spread through the internet like a wildfire when it first came up. You know, I remember seeing it on Facebook. Somebody had shared it. And then all of a sudden you had a Facebook page and all of a sudden you had, you were working with a marketing company. I mean, this just almost seemed to have happened overnight. Were you ready for the sheer amount of fame that you have received thus far? Of course I was ready. What are you talking <laughs> about? No, I didn't, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, man. I, I was just, I was stunned. I was, it happened, you know how many days it took between the time that I posted the little website and Sci-Fi Channel did an article about us? It was two days. Wow. I posted this little, it was at Vegas Con, is where all this started. I'd had my bridge set for about six months, maybe seven months, and I was desperate because I, I couldn't find anyone to get on my side. And I said, well, you know, if worse comes to worse, I'll have to auction pieces of it off. I just, I can't go broke over this. It's not what I want to do, or I can sell it as a whole to some rich guy, whatever. But I can't afford to, you know, I'd already had $7,000 of my own money. I had actually more than that. It was 7000 to ship it, and then it was another, I put another, I don't know, six, 7000 into it because of, I purchased some pieces from the Vegas experience when that closed. I bought some of the chairs and other pieces at the auction. And because I knew, you know, I had an ultimate dream that I could rebuild the entire bridge, but... I didn't know what I was going to do it with it. I didn't know it was going to be a museum. I didn't know anything. I just knew I had to save it before it was destroyed. And I went to Vegas, and I met Ronald D. Moore, and I met Brandon Braga, and I met Ronald, John Delancey, who plays Q. I met a few people. A few people were on my side, and they all saw the pictures of my poor little disheveled bridge. And they said, dude, you got to do something with this. This is incredible. You've got to save this. You've got to make this into something that can, you know, be something in you know, a museum, or put it in a museum, or do something. And I said, I woke up one morning and said, Eureka, I'm going to do this. And I did it. I, I did a Kickstarter, and I, I said, no, I'm going to do a Kickstarter and put up this little Facebook page, and put up some pictures. Two days later, it exploded all over the internet, and I was not prepared at all. And that's when um, Michael Kuda emailed me and said, okay, look, You've got some errors on your page, and you've got to change these. This is how I would put it. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And some people came after and said, you've got errors on your page. You said it was this. You said, no, I 
didn't intentionally do this. I didn't know, you know, I never said that it was the original bridge. Like Sci-Fi Channel said that it was the original that I'd said it was. And I said, no, 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 they never came to me. They just posted a story. I never did an interview with them. I didn't know they were going to, you know, do an article about us. And even some PR people were coming to me saying, did you do this uh, above our heads? And did you? No, I didn't do anything, (laughs) you know. So that was pretty incredible. But hey, hey, I was just lucky to have anything. You know, I was grateful for all of it. And this weekend we did, or I, now that you're probably hearing this, last weekend we did a WonderCon at the end of March. And WonderCon gave us three booths of space to do a display. And so I invited Rick Sternbach and I invited Doug Drexler and David Gerald and and all these people are all gurus and legends of Star Trek. David Gerald created the triples and Doug Drexler worked on DS9 and the original series and the makeup that won an Oscar and all this stuff. And Rick Sternbach created pretty much every design, every phaser, every tricorder, every ship, everything that you ever saw on TNG and Voyager and DS9 and everything. And they all came over. They just thought, okay, this will be fun. I'll get to meet the fans. And which was such an honor for me to be able to bring these people to sign autographs and to sell like props and all this. And Marita Sirtis was there. And so was, as I said, Michelle Nichols happened to be there at the Lightspeed booth, all thanks to uh, Gary Hassan, who's has been a big supporter of ours, manages them and all that. So, and then I invited uh, some really cute Trekkies, Trekkie girls, I know, to work our booth, to be, to pose with people, but also to sell our, you know, sell the, the fight, you know, and tell people about, it, spread the word. None of them got paid. They all did it as volunteers. And our main girl, Danny, who just worked her tail off, started posing. And little did I know, LA Times took her photo, did an article about us. Tested.com, who's the Mythbusters site, Grant M. Hara came over and knew Larry Nimichek, who's also at our booth, because they both are in this sci-fi show called Star Trek Continues. That's like the original series. Everybody should check this out. It's so brilliant. The ongoing voyages of the Enterprise. And Larry Nemechek's playing Bones, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, Vic Mignana, who's a very famous voiceover actor, plays Kirk. And it's all real actors. And, and you know, Scotty, Scotty's son plays Scotty. I can't remember his, his name, his first name. But, yeah, it's it's an unbelievable cast that they got. But even better, their set is dead on, man. It is so perfect and beautiful. And they don't just have the bridge. They've got the corridors and the medical bay and the transporter room. And they've got it in Georgia. It's it's incredible. They, they're doing with the original series set that we're doing with the next-gen set. But, yeah, that I, I totally recommend because they got the lighting right. They got... That's the key to that show. The lighting was just jaw-droppingly beautiful on the original series. Anyway, I gush on. But they came to our booth, and this whole week has been article after article with pictures of sweet Danny, our booth girl, all over these, all over the Internet. You type in cosplay WonderCon, and you see her sitting there in her original series blue tunic, with her Spock ears, you know, and it's just adorable, and she's adorable, and we've got 
all this press because of her and because of us and because of the LA Times and Mythbusters and Tested.com and Nerd Approved and I think a bunch of others too I haven't found yet. But, you know, luck of the Irish. We've just been so fortunate to surround ourselves with these heroes of ours. That's amazing. It really is. So what's the future right now? You know, you said you hope to have the bridge completed by the end of the year. What's in the near future for this project? Well, we are going to be doing a bunch of conventions. And at these conventions, all the conventions have asked us to be there because we don't have the money to actually, hey, we're going to set up a booth and blah, blah, blah. But the good thing is we have the Bridge of the Enterprise, or at least we've got pieces of it right now that we can take to conventions and put it on display and have people come and sit in the chairs and do photo ops and donate money if they want, get a t-shirt, whatever, but mainly spread the word and to meet our fans. That's our fans. I mean, fans of the franchise who are supporters of ours. Cause, you know, <laughs> I'm not arrogant enough to think that we have fans, but I mean... We've got people who follow us and support us, and that's what it's all about. We would not be here without help. So we're going to be at the Long Beach Comic Con at the Long Beach Convention Center in Long Beach, California. Makes perfect sense. On May the 11th. It's only May the 11th. That's a Saturday. And we're there with the help of the USS Navros. I think I'm pronouncing it right. And also the Star Wars 51st Allegiance is helping us, too, just to prove that there's no ill will, which I always found pretty stupid for the whole Star Trek, Star Wars contingency there. We're also going to be at Comic Palooza, Houston, Texas, May the 24th through the 26th. And I think that Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, is going to be there as well. As well as, golly, I think Avery uh, is going to be there from DS9 and Renee Orberstenois. And I think several other biggies are going to be there. We're going to be at Comic-Con. I just got the word, because of WonderCon that's owned by Comic-Con, we did so well there that they said, you know, I think we're going to get you a table at Comic-Con as well. Ooh. Uh, July 18th through 21st. Nice. And I'm not sure where or how much of the booth space they can give us, but my God, that would be incredible. Because that would just, the exposure there would just be insane. You know, and also... I got to tell you, Roddenberry.com, Gene Sun Rod has been so supportive of this. And those guys did a whole big thing about us on their website last weekend. Uh, They had our girls, the people who showed up at our booth. So awesome. So, yeah, camaraderie there. Space City Comic Con in Houston, Texas. We will be there August 2nd through the 4th. And Tim Russ's Star Trek Renegades, those guys will be there. And. Let's see, Robert Ricardo and several other biggies, big stars from Star Trek. Uh, Let's see. And also, I think some people from Firefly, too. Jules State will be there as well. And I can tell you this. This is kind of a secret right now. I can tell you some of what's going to happen. There's going to be a certain thing happening at the Space City Comic Con in Houston that deals with us and deals with NASA and... That's all I can say right now, but if this thing goes through, it's it puts us on a different level. It's so huge, and I'm so excited, but th- really, that's all I can say right now. Um, we're going to be at Star Trek Vegas, August 8th through the 11th, and that is just massive. That will, you know, between that and the NASA thing, <laughs> we'll, you yeah, know, we'll have yeah. it. <laughs> um, and by then, we will have 
I think we're going to have the entire center section of the bridge with Worf's horseshoe or also Tasha Yar's horseshoe console, as well as Data's chair and computer and uh, the Con and Ops and Riker and Troy and the captain's chair. And on November the 9th through the 10th, we will be at the Designer Con in Pasadena, California. And that's still being formulated, so I'm still not sure what's going on there, but uh, it seems really cool. Uh, and we're planning on a big music concert on June 15th. That will be the sci-fi music concert that we're... It's still not 100%, but we're talking to... The Make-A-Wish Foundation. If it goes through, it will be us and Make-A-Wish, and it will, we'll be splitting the finances straight down the middle, and it will be the entire cast of Star Trek Next Generation, including Sir Patrick Stewart, including all of them, and I think Denise Crosby, too. I met her last... When I, I think I met her Monday. I think I met her this Monday. That's how quickly this week has gone, you know? Denise Crosby, like Tasha Yar, is so behind us and supportive of us, and that blew my mind. So I think it's going to be them, and also we talked to Nathan Fillion, we talked to several of the Voyager people, as well as Firefly and Doctor Who. I, we're trying to get Karen Gillan, who's now local to Los Angeles, to show up, and some of the Big Bang Theory people, Kate Micucci, uh, who plays the girlfriend, and Bill Prady, uh, the producer of Big Bang, is one of our followers. And if that works out, that will be incredible. And there will be about 700 to 1,000 seats. And uh, yeah, that, but again, it's, uh, I will know this, I will know probably this week that that's going to happen. And if it does, it's going to explode because we've got this promo video that uh, we're going to be shooting, uh, I think, with Kate and with Vasco John Delancey. I don't know if he'll do it or not, but uh, that, talk about viral, that will go viral, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> that, those are our immediate plans, and then the end of this year, we'll have our bridge completed, and Paramount has shown interest in giving us the space to to have a grand gala opening at the end of this year or early next year, whatever it is, if Paramount gives us a soundstage, well, y yes, sir, anytime, you tell me, you know. And then, you know, next, 2014, will be the, uh, probably the San Diego Air Space Museum for about six months to a year. And we'll be building not just the bridge, but also the corridors and the medical bay and possibly even the original series bridge to put on display and make it all interactive and educational. Although the original series being an interactive and educated educational, yeah, okay, but interactive is kind of hard because it wasn't made to be logical. You know, it was just a bunch of shiny buttons for the most part. Right, right. It's, it's cool and brilliant and retro, but it is it wasn't made to actually work. Um, and then I can tell you this: it's still not 100 percent, but we are planning something that will be groundbreaking. And I know I said that already about bridge, but there has never been an interactive educational sci-fi museum ever. There's one in Seattle, Washington that Paul Allen founded. It's a sci-fi music museum, something like that. I still haven't been there, but I've seen pictures and it looks incredible. He's got actual, he's got the Kirk's real chair, you know. Um, but the one thing it doesn't have is an interactive bridge, and it's got a lot of props, and they're all behind glass. What we want to do 
is to create the very first interactive sci-fi museum in the world and to make it probably in Hollywood. We want to get all of the most famous sci-fi directors of all time to get on our board of directors, to be on our side, to support us, Spielberg, Lucas, Verhoeven, Cameron, everyone you could possibly name. JJ. Oh, of course, JJ. <laughs> you know, people kick him in the butt a lot and say, oh, it's lens flares and this and that. And JJ brought Star Trek out of the ashes at a point when it had been sold to CBS. Paramount gave up on Star Trek. I don't know if you know about that. When they owned it and the last TV show failed, Enterprise, uh, they just said, to hell with it. We're just going to sell all assets, get, wash our hands of it, and that's the end of it. And it was a dead issue. And it's for television, it's still, as far as I know, it still is a dead issue. But J.J.'s the one who said, okay, yeah, okay. So he turned it into Star Wars. Big deal, you know? So he didn't have the science and the philosophy and all that stuff. He made it a multi-million dollar success. And he brought it, you know, into, he brought new fans to the franchise. That's what really counts. I'm actually talking, at name drop city. I talked to JJ's office this week because I visited the Paramount lot and they told me that there was a, a piece that was, I can't say too much about this, but there was a large prop piece that was made for his new film into darkness that is iconic and they said you know it's going to be thrown out it's it's the exact same thing you know the hollywood waste mentality and they said my god well what can be done and they said well if jj says it's okay for you to you know we'll just load it on your truck and you can have it <laughs> you know so to speak and so i immediately just had the balls to you know the audacity to call up jj's office and say I'm Houston Huddleston, and we've got these people, and Ronald D. Moore's on our side, and Rich Spiner, and, and Bill Shatner, and blah, 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 blah. And, and also Bob Orkey, uh, Roberto Orkey, who's one of the producers of this two Star Trek writers of that, has commented about us, so he knows about us. And so, yeah, I said, okay, here's the layout. We've got these people, this people, these are our plans, everything's protected. Can Will you let us have this? So I've yet to hear back, but... Regardless of what happens, we will be in JJ's radar, and that's what really matters about this. Because we ultimately we need him on our side for what we're doing. Because regardless of alternate universe, lens flares, whatever, it's still Star Trek, and one thing does feed the other. And whatever help he is is a huge help to us, be it uh, supporting us financially or just even. Hey, I support this. I'm J.J. Abrams. You know, anything like that. Uh, and the same with uh, Rick Berman. The same with anybody who has been associated with Trek. So, yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, Houston, uh, this is the moment where, you know, we kind of open it up to our guests. Is there anything before we go that you kind of want to get out there? I mean, there's so much news about this. You know, how can people follow? How can people donate? How can people participate and be a part of this? The first thing is to go to our website, which is newstarship.com. It's newly renovated. It's, we had problems with it because, again, we were caught totally off guard, and it looked – the first website I had was so pitiful. <laughs> you know, I, I'm embarrassed about how bad it looked, but now it looks – it's awesome looking. It's beautiful. And 
that is the hub of everything. We have a store up now that you can donate to us. We've got t-shirts. We will have hats. We will have bumper stickers, pins, patches, all that stuff that uh, even wristbands, you know, that or just, you know, a, every dollar count. They just want to donate a dollar. It's all tax deductible. So, yeah. And also our Facebook page, which is on Facebook, we're called Enterprise Restoration. And on Twitter, we are The New Starship. But, you know, our newstarship.com is the hub of everything. Anything you want to join or go to can stem from there. And I would say that is the bulk of it all. <laughs> but, no, just follow us. Spread the word. You know, that's word of mouth is so important to what we're doing. To show the importance of this, when we got some of the big, bigger followers, bigger companies like Entertainment Earth on our side and some of the bigger stars... The first thing they looked at was the number of supporters and followers we had and the nice things people were saying and the kind words and passionate, passionate pleas on our site. And that kind of stuff, it doesn't go unnoticed. And even if you have no money, because I've got no money right now, honestly, all my time is going into this. And so it's tough right now, but it'll, for me personally, the fan support and the the connections I'm making and all that stuff and is helping my career. So I, I don't mind spending, you know, these, God, it's been six, seven months, uh, eight months now, uh, spending so much of my time on this because if I don't do this now, it's never going to happen again. And, you know, it's, even if you have no money, just spread the word. That's where it can help show up if you're near any of these cons show up and just say, uh, tell those conventions. Or if you want us at a convention that we're not going to, tell the convention owners, tell the head of whatever at the convention, email them or call them or write them and tell them, hey, you know, like anybody writes anymore. Uh, no, but <laughs> email them and tell them, hey, you know, if we want these guys uh, bridge chairs at this con. And if enough people do that, then, uh, Emerald City or MegaCon or the Toronto, uh, all the Canadian cons, will see that there's not just interest, but you know, passionate interest and support. That hey, I'm only going to go to this thing if you have the Enterprise Bridge, you know, <laughs> like. A, but yeah, just don't make any death threats. That's all I ask. Please don't, you know, make any. Uh, don't don't be that passionate of supporters, <laughs> you know. But no, it's. It's all good stuff. We're trying to change the world. We're trying to do what Roddenberry wanted to do, which was, you know, every child can read and every child will be fed or something like that. But in our terms, it's, in you know, what we can do is children and adults and everything can see that the future is going to be positive and that uh, it could inspire people to be writers, directors, go into science, into space, exploration, into math, and into anything. It's limitless. Well, Houston, fortune favors the bold, and this is certainly a bold project. And you definitely have the support of, I'm sure, every Trek fan out there. Hopefully our listeners will head on over to NewStarship.com and offer their support in whichever way they can. And hopefully Priority One will see you in Star Trek Las Vegas this year. You know it. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate your time, and best wishes to you and the project. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care.
Transfer complete. I'm Elijah. I'm Leah. And you're Tony. <laughs> and I'm Tony. <laughs> well, you already do. You can just cut and paste and slice and dice and splice it. What, you want to just do that over again? We can just do it over again. Uh, I only watched it once. I can't tell you exactly. She got sick of us and left. I think that's what might have happened. Leah? This is this month in... Ish. I don't even know what podcast this is anymore.